Hey, listeners, this is Neil Ludevic. And Amir Jandali. Welcome to Leave Looking Up, where we have uplifting conversations about the state of the world with our heroes, with the intention to demystify, orient, and leave you, our listeners, inspired. Today, we sit down with Brady Watt, a critically acclaimed producer, multi-instrumentalist, band leader, and cancer survivor. He's been on thousands of recordings, has headlined and performed with some of the biggest artists of nearly every genre, from hip-hop icon Talib Kweli and comedian Dave Chappelle to rapper Matis Yahoo to members of Rage Against the Machine and electronic artist Mark Rebier. You may know Brady from a series he created called Bass and Bars that features him accompanying iconic musicians and duets of their most popular songs. Bass and Bars has garnered tens of millions of views alongside his concerts and performances online, culminating in Brady's career quickly achieving worldwide recognition before he's even released a second album. Now, I first met Brady in New York City back at Gin Fizz, a local Harlem hangout that hosted a jam session run by Anu's son called The Shed. Living and working in Harlem while running Harlem Arts Festival, this was the spot where the best musicians and artists came through. From multi-Grammy Award winners Robert Glasper and Bilal, to acclaimed harpist Brandy Younger, to tap dancer Michaela Lerman. Both of us regularly went there to chill out after a long day. So it was only a matter of time before we were introduced to one another. In this episode, we learn about the journey of bringing dreams to reality. Brady talks to us about the power of grit and hard work, and the lesson that no matter what adversity is standing in your way, always show the universe that you're worthy. And so now, without further ado, let's start this episode. We've got a pretty special guest, a good friend, someone I'm super glad to have on the show, Brady Watts. Brady, say hello. Hello, hello. For the people that are listening, I want to give a little bit of context of who Brady plays with. Peace, I'm Talib Kweli. This is Brady Watt. This is Bass and Bars. Let's go. Ah, yeah. Classic material. The original Dirty Rock Scoundrel, J. Rude Damager. Brooklyn, East New York is in the building. This is bass and bars. My man Brady Watt on the bass, J. Rude Damager is on the bars. Two, three, four, it's your boy Warren G and I'm on the go. We in here live with Brady Watt and it's still on beach and the shit don't stop. I said one, two. I have seen him tour with and perform with DJ Premier, Talib Kweli, Mark Rebier. It's a pretty long list. I was doing Harlem Arts Festival years ago, and he was one of our headliners there. And he's since just popped off. And didn't you just release, relatively recently, a track with some of the guys from Metallica, right? Uh, yeah, with, with Robert Trujillo of Metallica. <laughs> yeah, it's Nobody Home that's out now. That's me, Robert, and Brad Wilk from Rage Against the Machine. And it's, it's you know, it's trying to bring back the uh, the super group idea because a lot of my records, pretty much all of them, they're all collaborations, you know. Even if I'm doing most of the stuff, which on this was pretty even split, I feel like as a producer, I, if, even if I bring in some drummer or singer or whatever, it just makes it into a whole new thing. And I, I treat all the compositions as works in progress, I'll have the original idea together. And then I'm like, okay, drums. Then that takes mm. four months, five months, maybe five days. Maybe it, maybe a track is done in one day. Usually not. But I mean, nobody home took a year and a half at least. 
in the music video and making it all happen. It's, these songs are really like babies, except it's more than nine months. Oh, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's is- why we get we get like very attached to it because you know there's a lot of business steps and things that have to happen in order for it to get rolled out right. Mm-hmm. Which is cool because you don't want to do all that work and then no one hears it. That's worse. How did that connection with DJ Premier and Talib? Because those, I think, are the main ones. I mean, the Mark Mark one is pretty recent, but how did those two start? Wally was um, Daru Jones put me on the gig. Mm. I had put him on a gig before that, and you know that's kind of how it works. You know, yeah. I, I got into a situation. That I was just like, hey, great. You know, Talib needs a bassist, cool, yeah. and, and just kind of threw you in, and he liked you, and that was the end of that. And then I was just the bass player. Okay. Yeah. For Quali. And that was probably when I was, what, 23? So, yeah, it's been a while with wow. Talib. He's, he's like older brother, you know? Yeah. And uh, so been around a lot of greatness. And uh, Primo, he was my favorite producer since I was a kid. One of his interns knew I was a big fan and invited me in one day. At this point, I already had a reputation. I was already, I was probably like 26, 27. Yeah, but he didn't know about anything I had done. But he says he still remembers seeing me in on the on the security camera <laughs> it, with, with my bass and like a leather jacket. And he's like, who's this motherfucker? This dude looks, he looks like a rock star. <laughs> he says he's interested right when he saw me on the security. If you know Prem, he's like crazy about security. So we met and just talked about bass and stuff for like an hour. Cool. We, we talked about music and Jaco Pastorius, James Jameson, all the greats and jazz. He, he knows his shit. Big time, even with the players on the records, because he's a DJ and producer. He loves the liner notes, reading all of them. And he really knows his rock and roll history, too, much more so than people understand. Because um, he was a rocker in, in high school. He was wearing leather jacket, and he was on that funk, too, from his parents. Yeah. He was like a rock and roll kid in Houston, Texas. And we listen to music a lot and it's always rock. But yeah, I've, I've been working with him forever. And what happened was he picked me for his band like a, years later after our meeting. Oh, that did that wasn't like a sequential thing? That no, was like, was oh, cool. So Thanks time. so much for coming by. See you later. And then, wow. It was years. I never thought that I would do anything with him because he does all his beats himself. He does the bass yeah. with the keyboard. He is very particular about it. Where I've worked with him and Dr. Dre and Dr. Dre got a bunch of people in the studio he kind of conducts different people, a lot of collaboration. Primo sits in there by himself and just does wow. it by himself. You know, just within the last few years, he started sampling me and Carlos. And wow. uh, he he had sampled Adrian Young on that Prime record, Amazing. but it took a long time for him to touch any of my music to sample. Amazing. So I didn't think we were going to work. I just thought I met a hero of mine. But then he hit me up a few years later and he got a, a offer to do a Europe uh, Japanese tour. Yeah. So he was setting up the band and they kind of put it together with well-known jazz dudes and, and they were trying to put a bass player in there. And he was like, no, no, I, I got the bass player. I got the bass player. Wow. So he, he always tells this story to everyone. And uh, he had already had me. He, he never seen me play, but he knew from our conversation that I was legit. And I think he probably looked me up or whatever. Yeah. But but yeah, he, he locked that in for me. Next thing you know, we're in Japan. Rocking Damn. all my favorite songs is a dream come true. Wow. And then after that, um, we rocked all through Europe. And I had released my first solo album as like a producer artist, you know, yeah. featuring a bunch of people, featuring Kuali, my album Lifetronics. Yeah. Uh, which people love to this day. I made that when I was living in an abandoned building on 137th Yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember you yeah, were you talking about there. that. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I was touring and selling that CD to fans after because I'm a hustler. I'm getting paid. Yeah. And then I'm going out there selling these for 10 bucks each. They got printed up in the projects down the street. I picked them up the day before we left. That's great. The fucking ink was wet. <laughs> smelled like shit. Every time I opened this bag, everyone's making fun of me, dude. The ink didn't dry. And I went right on the plane and there was like, it was a rotten smell, dude. Rotten <laughs> smell. And That's I was great. traveling around selling them. And they're like, this guy's a hustler. Uh, and Ian was with us on the road. Yeah. And he's like, that's the guy that we should probably sign. You know, he's, and, and I started getting some big placements as a producer. Mm. So then um, Ian started managing me, who's Ian Schwartzman, is uh, the manager of me, Primo, and Joe Budden and some others. So that was that. But that was after we known each other for like a year. You've worked with... A lot of people, as we see, you've also launched a whole series called Bass and Bars. Every single one of those has a video, and those videos also popped off on YouTube. So when we talk about starting at the beginning, talk about how you got here, working with all these people, producing your own stuff. You know, you were a bassist, a producer, now you're singing. Give us a little bit of the origin story. Like, Well, I always just tell people, everyone has their different phases when they're kids. They try different sports and... They start playing guitar, they get into rollerblading. And I was like that. I was into breakdancing, rapping, all this stuff. <laughs> but or not, not even me rapping, episode. but like I liked rap because I didn't really start writing until way, way later in life. But I was a huge just in the culture, all these different phases. But then when I hit guitar uh, at age 13, I just never stopped Whoa. and I quit everything else. And, and then one year later, I switched to bass because my punk band needed a bass player. What was the name of your punk band? We had several names, but the main name we landed on Smash City. Okay. And in in my city, my trumpet player climbed out over, you know, like underneath a bridge, how there's like a little bit of space. Yeah. He climbed out underneath and it's like at least a 50, 70 foot drop. (laughs) He climbed out underneath the bridge and spray painted Smash City. With two stars on it. And this is when we were 14 years old, 15. <laughs> no. what, what city is this? It's so still there. Look for it's it? still no there. No way. Yeah, because no one else would go up there. And <laughs> what are they going to bring a fire engine to come take it down? It's still there. And there's all these other graffiti, but no one dared do that. So it's still up there, Smash City. Smash where? Smash what's, uh, what's the city? What's the city where? Uh, the city I was in was Nashua, New Hampshire. Okay. Nashua, okay. Yeah. And what was your band member's name so we can... Yeah, give oh, a shout out. Yeah, shout thank you. That was well-deserved uh, credit. Chad Everbeck. Chad Yo, Everbeck. Chad right now. Wild wild just uh, blew your cover <laughs> uh, in case the police go after oh, you great. for uh, for graffitiing that area. But fucking well done. That's past well, the statute of limitations. Well done. I mean, we're talking about it now, so yeah. yeah. Oh, that's hey, way did a good past job. the statute of limitations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. No, I checked it recently. I was like, still there. Still I'm, there. I'm Hell yeah, I love that. Okay, so that, that was my band, and and then. Uh, I just, I kept going from there. When I started playing bass, I really locked in on that and uh, practiced every day, got a teacher, like really, really went in. And right when I started playing bass, I realized there was all these different techniques. Mm. So it was very interesting. And everyone was kind of playing guitar. And I'm like, if I go in on this, it was very obvious that that was my instrument. Bass. Right when I started playing. Okay. And um, I'm naturally very dexterous. My hands move, my fingers and stuff, but my ear took forever to work on. I'm not a natural musician by any means. So that's another whole thing. Wow. That took just tons of work. What kind of work are we talking about when you say- Tons of ear training and learning so many songs. And 
I remember I used to be really nervous about jamming with people because I couldn't figure out what key shit was in for a while. Oh. Even tuning. I, I just didn't have the ear. Yeah. It was a concerted effort. No, I've seen it. But I think that's amazing because a lot of people think if I don't have the ear, I just can't do it. No, like some people myth. are just naturally gifted, but I think that's... It's a total myth. So 14 Smash City, years of training and working on your technique, listening, going to some jam sessions, and you got to Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And this is Berkeley, Boston, not California. Yep. Yeah, walk us through from there to playing a church. Um Berkeley, I I only applied there. That's all I wanted to do once I realized it was possible to become a professional musician. So up until this point, pursuing music as a career didn't seem like a reality for Brady. He didn't know anyone from New Hampshire that had become a professional musician. So he spent his time earning money, landscaping, and doing masonry work. He figured the next step would be going to a college like UMass Amherst and getting a business degree because that's what people around him were doing. So that's all he could imagine for himself. It wasn't until he attended a music summer camp at Berklee College of Music for the weekend that his imagination got the push it needed to consider a new possibility, that music can be a real path and a real career. Once I found that out, I applied to Berkeley, got in, went there and realized that everyone was way better than me, way better than me. Like I was cool, Mm. But, ooh, like, you know, these kids all went to performance high schools or their relatives were famous musicians. They had ins. They had been going to Berkeley for years leading up to this. Yeah. You know, so that was my competition, like the Louis Cato's of the world. Yeah. Who were unbelievable musicians. So I was like, holy shit. I mean, the first couple of weeks I was like, yeah, this might not work. You might lose this battle. Mm. And, you know, there was sleepless nights and I remember nights just, just sitting there like, I'm not going to be able to do this. But then, then one, one night I remember I pulled an all nighter and, and just had some talks with God. Like it was, you know, doing it or not. And I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to fucking do it. I'm going to work really hard. There's the practice rooms right there. I got the stuff I need. Let's just buckle down and and get it cracking. And I, I decided then, and people asked me, if, if I ever thought I was going to quit and things got harder in my 20s I mean picture all that stuff I had to do nah nope there's never been that there's never been I might have to give this up for a job I've never worked a job and I, and I ain't knocking that but but nah nah because the second I did that is the second I show the universe that I'm not worthy of this shit because it don't be giving it to everyone man it ain't supposed to be easy and I would feel really bad if I if I ditched it. Yeah. And once again, not not knocking anyone that's done it. I just would never be able to come to terms with that. Right. No. Almost like a Until, um, since that night, I've never had a doubt. Like disrespecting the door that was open for you. Yeah. But if we're actually diving back into the history a little bit, you know, something that we often ask our guests is. Is there a first heartbreak? Anything that really informed your identity or some of the music that you're writing or your mindset? There's a lot of different kinds of barriers, mental ones, physical ones. And so I'm curious if there's something in your mind that really provided a definition for you. I guess one, one turning point was when I was first moved to New York, I auditioned for Lady Gaga, like when she was really big, like at the, at the peak and like everyone in the world auditioned for it. 
like flew in and it was this whole thing. And you'd go up and play solo, which was weird. And I was like 22, 23. I remember even like my mom let me use her credit card to like buy a fly outfit for it. It was a big deal. Like grandfather was rooting for me and I kept on getting it. I kept on moving on and I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, I made it again. It was like weeding down and down. Less and less people showing up to this audition. I made it all the way to the end. You know, it was really between like me and Kern Brantley at the end of it. And he was 46 and I was 23. And um, he ended up getting the gig and then they toured forever. You know? <laughs> My and, God. <laughs> but, but through that, I gained a lot of confidence in the fact that I made it past all these other folks. And I just moved to New York and I was like, maybe this will work out because they think I'm dope. So one door closes, another opens always. You're always going to live. <laughs> Brady, that's beautiful. Did you feel that way when that door closed? Or did it take you a while to kind of be like, oh, wait, this is just a redirection? Yeah, well, the, the dude I was up against was so good that it was just like... <laughs> You know, <laughs> damn. Okay. You know, what I mean? it was like, yeah, okay. he's, yeah. He's got the gig. They all, they're all friends. The whole band. He probably had it, yeah, before. So no, nah, it was fine. I, I don't really be taking shit too personal, man. Mm. Unless mm. someone really disrespects me, it, yeah, that, that's big, man. Don't take it personal in the music business. I have to deal with it all the time. People ghost bass and bar shoots where I paid for the whole film crew. Happens mm. all the time. Dude, Jack Harlow, who um, during Bass and Bars season early on before Jack Harlow was famous, we've agreed to do a Bass and Bars day of, he, uh, he canceled. And I had already had my film crew set up, location, all this. Um, he canceled, but he called me and was very apologetic. And yo, I would never do this, but I got this video shoot with Cole Bennett. And I'm like, oh, that's going to... Any artist that does a Cole Bennett video blows up. You should probably do that. No problem. <laughs> I'm recommending that you cancel on me. What's popping <laughs> was the biggest song that year, maybe. <laughs> that joint got like, you know, that's that's a huge rap. Wow. Damn. And that blew him up. That was double booked with bass and bar. No way. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that was oh like the God. biggest song of that year, dude. Right. Like, yeah. It's so good. Uh and then he went on. Yeah, you know. And we were going to do that record, too. I had, like, a whole bass, like, loop. Thing <laughs> I was like, nah, go ahead and do that. And like I said, he was apologetic. I'm interested, right, in, like, how did that, I guess, thousands of... There was a first, right? And a second and a third. Where was that first introduction? What was the first rap record? And how was that experience? Was that... How was that experience? Were you just, oh, cool, here's our bassist. He's from New Hampshire. He's pretty, he's pretty dope. I was always an original music guy. Mm. starting bands and working with this artist and then going to New York to record with different producers. As far as the sizing up goes, you got to really prove your worth. If you play real good, though, they're going to let you in the door, you know? Yeah. I, I'm appreciating all the, the humanizing moments that we're hearing. It sounds like you were kind of putting out a sound. You were really validated by that, by people be like, yo, come hop on this or come help us with that. And you're just like, okay, cool. There's something here, mm. right? And then eventually your thing just starts to expand and then people look to you. What comes up for you as I say that? Yeah, it builds over time, the confidence thing. People look at me and they they see someone really confident the way I am on stage and just the whole thing. And it takes a long time. It wasn't just like that. That's why I always bring that up, even with the ear thing. I'm not 
I'm not just some freak who yeah. can go up and not give two <laughs> shits what anyone thinks, you know what I mean? Because we're in mm. these extremely judgmental situations when you get on stage. It mm. took a while to get there. I'm still getting better at it, you know? Yeah. The confidence builds over a really long period of time. What are some of the greatest insecurities you have around being on stage and presenting, performing, anything lingering? I, I mean, I just try to prepare a ton now, you know? Mm. And um, now that what I do now is way more difficult than what I used to do. I did my first, my vocal debut was with Mark Rebier. I sang a little bit there, but fucking around. But like my vocal debut with my full set was in fall, in the fall, mm. opening for Mark in LA um, in front of 3,000 people. I had never even sang in front of a coffee house, dude. <laughs> So everything I do yeah. is already in front of people yeah. because they know oh, me. Oh my God, I love it. Yeah, so everything, you know, there's already that built-in pressure. Yo, take us to that moment. What's it like? What was that like? Step onto the stage. You see all those people. What's that? What's good? Prepared like crazy. Like I, the last couple of years, I've had a vocal uh, trainer who's actually Carlos Holmes' wife, Jamie Holmes. The stage thing, luckily I have Carlos with me every day too. And he's he's signed to the label. He's a fucking musical genius. I, I keep him around because he's better at me than music. So there's all these people around me that are like really good at shit. <laughs> yeah, you rubs guys. off, you know. Yeah, <laughs> my manager's like a like a with with business. He's a maniac. That's why it's dope. Now I'm kind of like that because I'm with him every day. Yeah, I'm with DJ Premier every day. Yeah. You know, what I mean, picture what that does to your production when I'm making beats next to that dude every day. So everything I do is going to be fire. Like, I'm not making any weak shit in that room, dude. It ain't mm. happening. Every day is like that. So eventually, now with the beats, I can always make dope beats. It's just it's just automatic. It's not, oh, am I going to be inspired today? It's like, throw the shit on. Yeah. I know how to do this. It's a process. I've made thousands of them. We're all trying to elevate. And this is what you're talking about, rubbing off. I, I got to be around the best of the best of the best. And anything that's not that, yeah. you know... And this is the irony of that, right? You want to be around people that are better than you, but just better enough that they'll still tolerate you. Right. Right. Because otherwise, <laughs> yeah. if you're that person, like, no, nah, like, thanks. But that's that's the beauty of learning. And whether it's sports or music, this is the mastermind alliance that we've spoken about. I mean, the past at Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich talks a lot about where he says the mastermind alliance is a group of people that are better than you that make up for your gaps. But your responsibility to those people that have these abilities is to give them more than they give you so that you will always have a purpose in that group. Having been on thousands of recordings, collaborated with countless major artists as a bassist and producer, and solidified professional representation, Brady's career seemed to be on fire and only growing bigger when things suddenly took a serious turn. In late 2021, Brady was diagnosed with testicular cancer. He didn't want to shift the focus away from his music, but he decided to announce his diagnosis on social media. Through it all, he kept his fans updated, letting them know about his surgery, months of chemotherapy, documenting his hair loss, and everything it took to fight his cancer. Fortunately, his doctors caught it early enough and he was able to recover and is now in remission. But what I found most impressive was that he continued to release his own music and promote new releases from his fellow musicians throughout treatment. 
I want to bring it to present day a little bit. You've been pretty vocal just even in the past six months about your day has changed pretty significantly since you had a diagnosis of cancer. And I think, you know, it's another hat that you're wearing. And so as someone that knows you, I want to know, how has this changed your mindset? Uh, Talk to me about that experience because there's a lot there. I guess, man. uh, uh, The same values, though. I mean, still, like, I remember when I was on chemo, I kept on being like, man, I can't wait after to just be chilling with my family, drinking beers on the beach, smoking weed, you know, because I couldn't do none of that while I was on chemo. They wouldn't let let me even smoke weed because of the certain cancer I had, the the THC messes with the, uh, the test. So, and I'm not even like a pothead, but you know, I just like smoking. Yeah. It's just like, I was like, ah, that's going to be nice when I can do everything normal again. Yeah. I looked forward a lot to family and just continuing the path I was on, which I kind of just did. And it was also in a really peak position when it struck me, like I was in really good physical shape and then the career was really good. And and it hit at a time where I was up and I was like, shit, man, I remember how you feel right now because you're going to have to get right back here to keep going. And I had already done the work. So it was like this pause. A little breadcrumb? Yeah, it was like, don't forget you That's know, cool. what you're doing. And, and it, it's easy to forget because when you're on that shit, you don't really want to write. You don't really want to write. Mm-hmm. You want to like get through the day and like eat enough food and then uh, like, yeah. rest enough to get back in there. Yeah. To go get filled with fucking toxic shit again. You know, you got to just get in there to do it. So now I'm just getting back to where I was. And luckily I got a whole team of people, man. I mean, I got the support system, the family's super tight. But then my business colleagues and my, you know, I got Ian, Keeves, Preem, uh, my, my lawyer, several videographers that I work with, the creative director, like... I wasn't going to fall because these people were fully invested in me. Yeah. Shit kept moving. Um, I had enough money coming in. There wasn't, there wasn't no fundraiser. There was no Brady Watt fundraiser for chemo, you know, not knocking it, but that didn't happen. Kept going. Took five months off (sighs) as a musician, you know, I'm shit. I'm proud of that. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking bills are paid. (laughs) I mean, if that did hit me a few years ago, wouldn't be cool. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so I'm blessed that that we made it through that end of things. One thing I would say is I know with my vocals and all my creative decisions, I'm standing by them like a hundred percent because I had, you know, my, my hands are mad swollen and they still hurt. You know, it hurts when I play, but I'm still doing it. And, uh, so that, that shit from got, the chemo. Yeah. Yeah. How, what, what, like they're like swollen. They're, they've gone down considerably, but but like this would only go to like here. And, and uh, my voice was really messed up during all that, so I lost. People my are gonna voice. have to tune into the video to to see that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, That's for the video only subscribers, now. right there. They're pretty good now. Wow. It's, it's still it still hurts though, a little sore. So I I know what it feels like to have my voice taken away and my hands. I'm pretty much both of my in endeavors were taken yeah. and it was possible that that shit would be gone forever. That was wow. part of the, the chemo I was on. It could have severely damaged my lung capacity, rendering me not able to sing and do the whole thing that I do. Wow. You know what I mean? And with the hands, neuropathy was a possibility. Mm. So my whole, everything could have got taken away. 
So I have just mad conviction, but I had that before. But yeah. but now it's like really solidified. Like, fuck it, dude. It was just like a nasty time period, man. Like glad yeah. to be beyond it. Like just pretty yeah. gross, dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you're here. Glad, glad that it's gone. Just pushed through it, showed up and did what I had to do. How I do anything, you know, just showing up. Yeah. Uh, no. Yo, and you look great, by the way. Thanks, yeah. man. Yeah, Thanks, absolutely. Yeah. For real. Yeah, hair's just now coming in. I was saying, like, not a lot of people can pull off yeah. the, the bald look. It looks and good. I think you're you're making you're you're making it look good for any man that's losing their hair. That's word, word. <laughs> yeah, one day I'll probably have to do it again, you know? Right. You're inspiring me. I got a Syrian bald spot kind of forming forming in the back. I'm very, very Arab. Oh, okay. You know, and I see my future self at some point. Like, I think I think when I gain maybe like 15, 20 more pounds, mm. you know what I mean? With like burly chest and that whole bit, and then I'm going to shave my head. Yeah, the shaved head. Uh, listen, there was no shortage of uh, messages from women with the, with the, with shaved, the shaved head. head. Really? Chicks dig it. <laughs> I've been there. You know what I'm saying? Like, Confirmed. Like, for yes, real. Yeah, right? no, it's all good. Like, to anyone losing their hair out there. And, <laughs> Let it rip. And, yeah, they got, like, the horseshoe thing. Just, yo, just shave it off. This is this is your this is, is your order right now. Right. It's going to be all right. You're going to look flyer. Confirmed. I think we got the, the biggest insight of the episode. Yeah, yeah, I've been down, bro. Thank I've you. I've been there. <laughs> um, it's all right. Brady's journey to success was filled with countless twists and turns. From auditioning for Lady Gaga to being diagnosed with cancer or singing for the first time in front of thousands of fans. Every moment presented a new opportunity and a new challenge for Brady to face. It also gave his imagination a push, just like when he attended the Berkeley College of Music summer camp all those years ago. Every time he reached a goal of his, his imagination continued to stretch to fit the next goal. So what did your past self want for you now? It changes. It changes often. Like my main goal when I started playing bass was to play at the Middle East downstairs, the venue in Cambridge. And that was like, if I could do that, yo, that was it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Then I'd just be the man and <laughs> yo, that'd be it. you just hang it up. So sick. You know, <laughs> and then you do that <laughs> so many times. And then, then you're just like doing tour dates and you remember where the hell you are. The goalpost constantly changes. But I would say in a nutshell, it was always to be like a like legendary bass player. That yeah. was that was the overarching thing. Yeah. Which then I became a producer at some point during that, which kind of mixed into it. We often like to have a, a part of the episode of thing take a beat and think like who haven't you given thanks to that you might want to give thanks to now? Mm. And why? Well, since the timing is exactly exactly right gotta thank Megan Stabile yeah for introducing Neil and I at that jam session was on 125th uh, what was that club that was a fly club was that, that we Gin used to Fizz? be at Gin Fizz yeah. Gin Fizz Gin Fizz yep yeah so she introduced us and introduced me to like mad people man I mean yeah. you know got me my first premiere at OK Player when I dropped my first record and <sighs> Just lots of stuff like that, yeah. you know, and it's not just me. It's like everyone. She she yeah, united tons of people. And just these little intro, like a text intro, change your life, yeah. dude. It's like, yeah, she'd been doing that for all of us for a long time. I've known her since I was 18, 36. So, yeah, half my life. Got a shout out, Megan Stabile. Um, yeah. 
on my behalf and everyone, man. Everyone, it's, you know, I knew her very close, uh, and rest in power, man. This is a hard one. So, Megan Stabile was an iconic music producer and the founder of Revive Music. But more importantly, she was a close friend of mine for many years. She was a huge inspiration to myself and many musicians like Brady trying to make it in the world of music. She shocked the musical world when she sadly passed away at age 39 by taking her own life in June of 2022 after a lifelong battle with depression and addiction. She came up in our conversation with Brady because the news of her passing had just come out. The news really rippled through the community. She was a hero to so many of us, and if she was here today, she would be on this show. she That's the woman with the vision, and she did a lot for a lot of people. No words describe the impact that, that Megan had. Changed my life and perspective in that position. More ways that I could say that position doesn't get a lot of upfront thanks. It's the dudes that's on stage and in in blowing up, and they they get their the recognition. And unfortunately, that character, the connector, doesn't always get the recognition. And, yeah. Um, nor does they get payment. Like a lot of having been in that position, it is one of the most difficult places to be. Yeah. And I mean, I would even say more so, like those are some of the more upfront challenges, but as a woman in the industry, and especially if you're not coming from a super privileged background and with everything else, it's something to be recognized. And she brought people together, made some incredible things that we're all fortunate and better off that she was here. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I guess um, uh, very apropos to the name of the podcast. Mm is what have you learned recently that's left you looking up? I'd say I've been trying to be really present in all my moments and kind of take my time. I'm really efficient, but I kind of like to take my in-between time, man, just like Mm. throughout the day and not rush into things. And I was just like eating a sandwich on, like leaning against my car on Steinway yesterday, bro. The before. And it was like, ah, it's not going to get much better than this. I mean, this is it. You know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> nice out. Keep it simple. Fucking chilling. Just get done work out. Feel good. Mm. This is it, man. Yeah. You know, and trying to trying to feel that a lot. Really, just contentment and wherever we are. Because it's so easy to jump forward. Excellent word. Yeah. 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 That's my favorite acronym that I was taught by a social studies teacher. Shout out to Mr. Posnick. Kiss. Keep it simple. Stupid. Nice, you know, nice and easy. And I think on that vein, when we're talking about like what's leaving you looking up is thinking about our listeners and what would you want them to do? What the first thing to do after they listen to this podcast? Well, all the bass players go practice. The heck yeah. <laughs> Hit the shed. All, yeah. All the musicians go practice. Nice. Yeah. What, practice what is that? More. You got to practice more. What are you about to go practice? I'm going to go screenwrite a film that's been popping off in my head for a long time. And I'm feeling very motivated. Very motivated. It's impossible to not leave motivated after talking to Brady. Though your will is contagious, Brady. Mm, Yeah, I don't know if that's natural or what. I don't know. I'm pretty... uh, Give yourself some credit, man. I'm optimistic. I'm an optimistic guy. 
Might as well be, you know, you might as well. Yeah, it's the same amount of effort to be negative. So you might as yeah. well be positive. It just don't do nothing to be negative, man. It just doesn't lead anywhere. It's not good. Yeah. Well, even if the shit's going to hit the fan, it's going to do it. And then you're going to keep going. Truth. Couldn't have said it better than myself. going to be all right. So I think this is where we're about to switch to one of our favorite parts. The rapid fire round. Mm. Rapid. So we're going to switch off back and forth. I'm going to ask a question. He's going to ask a question. You got three to five seconds. We're not going to time you. This is going to be like a little trust. Trust thing. Just just give it first thing that pops off in your brain. Whatever you think think of, that's that's what you should say. So I'm going to start off. Brady. Favorite food. Italian. Name a four-letter word that starts with the letter B. Band. Oh, that was, that was a good one, actually. Yeah. Name an onomatopoeia. Boom, 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 boom! <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite type of music? Hmm. So the listener, like rock and roll, or like epic mm. rock and roll. Have you ever written a song for someone? Oh, yeah, so many. Last one you wrote for someone. Ooh. Working on one right now. It's called She's Fun, but she's not the one. Ooh. Ooh that if we get to know who it's for, we're going to have to find it's, out later. It's actually about, it's a lot of my songs, I'll start writing it about someone and then it'll become about a lot of different people. That there you go. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's about one person and then sometimes it, it takes a life of, yeah. ooh, I remember her and then her and then. Yeah. You got to be careful too, because with the with the song lyrics, and Primo talks about this all the time, is they be coming true. And you know, this is coming from someone who was with Big and Pac and, you know, yeah. Guru, seen a lot of people get killed in the rap yeah. game. And, um, you know, think about the lyrics manifesting in real life. And Nobody Home, my single, yeah. the lyric is, I've been fighting with the devil inside of me. Every time I check upstairs, there's nobody home. And I wrote that a year and a half ago. And then I, I got cancer. And I didn't even write it about that, but that's what manifested. I had written wow. it originally about kind of something else. Actually, just like fit. And I was like thinking about the duality of mind. Wow. But then it actually manifested as an actual fucking getting cancer. Yeah. Wow. Same, yeah. same year. And that, you know, the timing, it just gets yeah. released right after. Wow. Crazy. I didn't know that none of this was going to happen. That's nope. just an example, man. It comes true, which is why with, with these rappers, you might as well think a little forward and be like, cruise the city in a bulletproof dozer, heavy yeah. metal like it's no-leaf clover. You know what I mean? Yeah. You might as well be driving in your mind in the fly car before you even have it. Yeah. And like Diddy talks about that. They were The shit they were talking about with Big and Mace and Diddy, they weren't rich yet mm. when they wrote it. Wow. They're rich about a year later and had them things. I mean, this is but what they is wrote it, it into, into reality. I've seen, I've been in the rap game yeah. for so long. I've seen people do this for a yes, long time. Yes, yes. I mean, this is uh, like when Jim Carrey wrote a $10 million check exactly. to himself. What's your favorite store? The deli, I guess. At what time do you usually go to bed at night? Oh, geez. Um, somewhere between nine and midnight. Brady, thank you so much <laughs> for joining us today. Yes. For being a guest on Leave Looking Up, you seriously kick ass as a human, as a musician, as an everything. It's been incredibly inspiring speaking to you today. And as our first in person guest, too. Oh, nice. That's that's really special. I mean, you've added a lot of fuel to this fire. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. 
You can follow Brady on all social channels at Brady Watt Bass or on his website at www.bradywatt.com. For folks that love what they're hearing today and want to hear and see more, we have the complete uncut and raw episodes in video form available online on our fan page via Patreon at www.leavelookingup.com slash fans. There you can support what we're creating. Hear sound bites that didn't make it to the final cut. Gain wisdom from our guests, score merch, be the first to access our content, and more. Also, we'd like to take a second to thank you for joining us today. So if you haven't already, please be sure to leave a rating and review of the podcast in your app of choice. Leave Looking Up is hosted by myself, Neil Ludevic, and my co-host, Amir Jandali, and produced by our small but mighty team at Moon 31, a company dedicated to creating platforms for meaningful conversation that tackle the important issues of today. This episode was created through the combined efforts of myself as executive producer, our lead producer, Lushik Lotus-Lee, with support from Eric Aaron. The Moon 31 team also includes designer Andrea Kang, Glass Slipper Media, and engineer Justin Jet Carter. Original theme music by Brady Watt and background music provided from Blue Dot Sessions. 